western bacon cheeseburger cheese bacon western bacon cheese burger i'm talking carl jr pick it up western bacon cheeseburger carl jr pick it up blog talk radio I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Happy Wednesday night, everyone. Uh, it's another episode of Finsider Radio. Uh, my name is Keith. I'll be your host for the next hour or so. Uh, a little bit earlier tonight, but I've got a couple of things going on that made it a little bit difficult to do the show later in the evening. So here we are, uh, 7.30 out on the East Coast. Uh, my time is 6.30 <clears throat> Central. I know we've got some West Coast listeners out there who are probably still at work, so might not hear from them tonight. Uh, at some point during this show, we'll get a call from Lewis. He's not angry. He's uh, just ready to go ahead and chat. Well, he might be angry. I haven't, actually haven't talked to Lewis since, uh, since the Buffalo game last Sunday. So things, things could have changed within the past three or four days. We'll find out. Uh, in the meantime... Uh, we'll go ahead and talk about a few things on this show. I'm also looking for some people to give me a call in the studio. If you want to be that person or people, go ahead and give me a call at 347-326-9461. I'll be taking calls for the next 15 minutes or so. We can chat about whatever it is you guys want to talk about. We're pretty much an open open book tonight. We only have a few discussions planned. I mean, how many times can you go ahead and talk about uh, missed opportunities for this team? Uh, I know a lot of people are still hung up on uh, the missed uh, holding call on Dominican City last Sunday that really resulted in that game getting turned for good against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I agree. I mean, that was an egregious penalty that the that was missed. But ultimately, it's not like they played that well in that game anyway. So while it was a missed opportunity, maybe maybe things are different if uh, if that play comes back. But I mean, at, at this point, I don't know how many times you can you can bemoan uh, the missed opportunities that uh, that have really plagued this team all season long. Uh, not really so much against the Patriots. That was more of a straight a just a straight ass kicking when you get down to it. The Buffalo game, yeah. Although I mean, those guys again hopped out to a pretty big lead on Miami earlier in that game. So I mean, it, it's hard to to really point fingers at this point. Uh, if you have Lamar Miller on your fantasy team, you're loving that right now. I mean, he is just throwing up points left and right. Uh, and I mean, and he's a, a quality contributor. I mean, granted, I mean, when you're you're picking up yards and garbage time, a lot of that stuff can be misleading. But I mean, Lamar Miller's a a, a quality NFL back. You know, more than a quarter of a season to get that guy involved in the game plan. Obviously, that, that all started once the uh, the previous coaching regime was uh, shown the door and the majority of um, the, the, well, the majority of the staff started to take over as, um, as the new interim <clears throat> coaching angle. So uh, it's, you can go round and round. There's a lot of venom. On, on Twitter right now, there's a lot of people who are frustrated with this team, and I mean they have every right to be. 
I, I don't, like, again, we're not the Ryan Tannehill apologist on this show, but at the same time, uh, we believe in doling out the blame when it's, when it's due, but not keeping all of it on any one player just because. And if you're blaming Ryan Tannehill for the majority of the Dolphins' problems right now, you're way off. Uh, I mean, considering the the instability of the coaching that he's had, really the the past couple of years with uh, you know it wasn't working out with Sherman, so then uh, they go ahead and they make that change. They bring in Bill Lazor. Uh, at times, it looked really good with with Bill Lazor. At times, has not looked as good. And then you get the the change at head coach. You know, so there's all of the these moving parts around the quarterback. It's awfully hard to win at the NFL level at the quarterback position when you just have so many coaching parts around you moving when there isn't that sense of stability and reliability and consistency. When you're missing that, it's awfully hard to work out. I mean, you can – I'm a big fan of using extremes as an example. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has had, you know, Mike McCarthy – the entire time that he's been a, a starting quarterback there. You know, that helps. You know, granted, yeah, he's, uh, well, I mean, we always make jokes about what Joe Philbin really did in Green Bay uh, when he was the offensive coordinator for the Packers. Uh, I mean, regardless, though, um, all you know is that you look at these teams that have that, um, prolonged success, the obvious example, Brady and Belichick, regardless of whether, you know, it's Charlie Weiss who was the offensive coordinator early in Brady's career for those for that uh, first uh, real title run, you'd say. Um, I don't like using the word dynasty, but, I mean, it was it was impressive what that team did in the span of four seasons. And then later on when uh, Brady had a lot of success with uh, Josh McDaniels, who we like to, we like to call uh, Josh Mishandled on this show. So I mean, when, you, when you're missing that stability – uh, and that reliable presence um, really everywhere along the coaching staff, but really especially at head coach, uh, which is an obvious statement to say, it's it's hard to get in a rhythm and stay there. I mean, the fact that Ryan Tannehill has had success this season, has endured through a lot of, uh, a lot of the negativity and a lot of the bad stuff that has happened with this team is incredibly impressive and really is a testament to his uh, toughness uh, mentally, uh, his ability to ma- to remain mentally resilient is, I mean, it's outstanding. I couldn't be more impressed by that because it hasn't been the most welcoming atmosphere for that guy since he arrived in town. A lot of people love Ryan Tannehill. A lot of people dislike him too. Not sure I understand that latter crowd, but everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So uh, the fact that he's had any success in Miami sometimes surprises me considering the fact that they haven't, this team has rarely put him in a situation uh, that was fully enabling. Yeah, you went out and got him some really good receivers. And, I mean, you've seen the fruits of some of that. Uh, you'd like to see Devontae Parker at some point. I know that uh, the report out now is that his foot is 100% healthy from having that screw replaced. I think that was in July. So now he's healthy. Uh, and now it's just he's not getting the game reps, which, I mean, that's, Purely a coaching call suggests that they feel he's not ready or there's uh, some sort of lapse in his game. There's a flaw or uh, just a, an area of weakness that is really preventing him from getting on the field. 
if you want to use a, a similar example, it's like when a, a running back sucks at pass protection, you're not going to see him uh, on the field on third down. I mean, that's just pretty much football one-on-one at this point. So, I mean, whatever's up with Devontae Parker and the fact that coaching staff doesn't see him ready, at some point, especially as the season continues to slip from this team's grasp, which it is very much in the uh, the process of dropping the last two to back-to-back to a divisional opponent, hurts. Uh, it's not going to get easier any easier going forward. Uh, I thought the Philadelphia Eagles last week uh, were pretty impressive on the road. I understand that Dallas is really bad at this point. Uh, and it's just looking for anything with a pulse to play quarterback. Uh, you know, they got the whole Greg Hardy distra- distraction going on. I thought Des Bryant looked fantastic in that game, though. But Dallas just isn't very good. So, I mean, Philadelphia going in there and and outlasting them, you know, staving off that, that last gasp by Dallas that got that game into overtime. Uh, and the fact that, you know, Philadelphia's defense really did not look very good in that game, except for any of that pick six was impressive. But, I mean, I thought that there was plenty to exploit in that game. But not really the team you want to see coming off of back-to-back games in which the Dolphins, only for a little while, were in it. And that would be in Buffalo when they started, uh, they started to close that gap and then before all hell broke loose again. Want to hear from you guys tonight? I understand it's a little bit earlier than we usually run this show, so it's it's strange to call in at this time. I don't know what you guys are Maybe you're eating dinner. I haven't even eaten yet. So if you want to go ahead and give me a call, 347-326-9461. Go ahead and get you on air. You can talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. Uh, this team driving you nuts if you're already looking forward to next season. I know a lot of people are. I'm starting to see the draft stuff up on Twitter. Uh, I can't disagree with uh, with that practice. I made a total habit out of that. Well, that's actually how I got started with the Finsider. Was that's what I did. I looked at draft guys um, before it really became just so oversaturated in terms of looking at scouting and whatnot. When I when I was doing it. Uh, it was still kind of just like a, a niche type thing that some people were into, and then a bunch of people would tell you that uh, too soon to look at draft stuff when they don't realize that looking at draft stuff is a, a 365 day a year uh, practice. It's just something that people do. And um, I was able to find some players that ended up on this team, and not all of them are great stories. I think the first time I projected. Uh, a player to the Dolphins, and he actually landed uh, with the team, was uh, I think in October of 2008, I started to look at Vontae Davis, uh, who was uh, at Illinois at the time. And at one point was the, um, I think he was the number two overall prospect uh, on ESPN's, like, top 25 big board. I mean, that thing has come a long way in the past seven years, believe me. But at that point, I think the number one guy was Matt, Matthew Stafford. I think number two is Vontae Davis. And this is before uh, the behavior stuff came out about Vontae. That's what really – that's why he, he went 25th overall uh, in the 2009 draft, despite the fact that, um, you know, six months earlier he was looked at as the best corner in the country – because uh, the other the other big name for corners in that draft was uh, Malcolm Jenkins, was the other first-round guy. And what held Malcolm Jenkins back was the fact that he was a 4-5 guy, could not 
get into the four four range, which had people automatically thinking, well, now you're going to have to you have to convert to safety. You're playing with fire if you got a four five guy over defending the perimeter. It worked out for the uh, the Saints. They ended up drafting Jenkins, um, won a Super Bowl with him. So uh, and he, I mean, he was a big contributor on some of those teams. Uh, so anyway, Vontae was the the big name in that draft at corner for a long time, and then it started to come out he was having problems with the coach at the time. I think it was Ron Zook, and uh, yeah, it just a uh, issue after issue, and then all of a sudden people started to question, you know, does he love football? I love that. I always love that that criticism. Where it's like, does he love football? Because it's absolutely valid. Are you playing to get rich? Are you playing because you absolutely love the sport you're involved with? Is that what you want to do? So while it sounds incredibly, uh, you know, plebeian, if you if you really want to get out there and use an, an advanced phrase, it, it sounds obvious to say, you know, does he love football? But a lot of these guys, it comes out that maybe they don't. Maybe they're just in it. You know, Deion Jordan is a, a shining example of a guy uh, people throw that criticism at, you know, does he, did he love football or is he just, because you heard it from the coaching staff, this guy loves football. You heard it from uh, the night he was drafted when um, <clears throat> I think Steve, Steve Mariucci, who was doing the uh, the NFL Network's coverage of the 2013 draft, brought up the fact that he had talked to Nick Aliotti, who was uh, his coach at Oregon, the, I believe he was uh, the uh, defensive coordinator, and uh said, nobody loves football more than this guy. Okay. So uh, it didn't really work out that way. And that was on the, the coach's uh, recommendation. So just goes to show that no um, no source is 100% reliable. Things fall through. Things go south. Things go sour. And things you don't expect to go well do. Uh, so just looking at this team, uh, you're not feeling too good about the Philadelphia Eagles on, on Sunday, or you think maybe you can go ahead and just get it turned around for the the rest of the season. Just try to put a positive spin on what's going on with this team right now. The fact that divisionally they're just getting pummeled, uh, as I mentioned, the back-to-back uh, games not a not a great look. Um, you, you look at it and think like, well, what? How can it get better? <clears throat> Uh, I got an idea. Coming out and showing the dominance that they they exhibited against Houston a couple of weeks ago would probably be a good a good start. I would I would look in that direction as something where they can get out there and just pummel them. Uh, but I mean, Philadelphia is a, a a tricky team. You always you always see jokes with people that people make about the the speed with which that offense moves from play to play. There's not a lot of wasted time. It's super efficient. Uh, it's hurry-up offense all the time. It's the, the Chip Kelly special out there. And, um, I mean, Sam Bradford's been a little inconsistent this year, but when he's on, he looks great in that offense. And I'm glad to see him do well because I was always puzzled by the fact, I mean, outside of the injuries uh, that he had at St. Louis, uh, like his second season, he started to struggle with his accuracy a little bit, which I always thought was extremely strange because I was convinced at one point when Bradford was at Oklahoma that he was the most accurate quarterback I'd ever seen. That guy made throws that absolutely boggled my mind. Just threading the needle on the money, had great uh, confidence and trust in his arm. 
not the biggest arm or anything, but just outstanding, outstandingly accurate, could throw the ball downfield. Uh, didn't have the greatest uh, receiving weapons on the planet when he was at OU. I think Joaquin Iglesias is one of his guys. and uh, I think he was drafted by the Bears. I think he's most famous for getting yelled at by Jay Cutler in practice one time because he was catching the ball with one hand, um, which when you're getting yelled at by Jay Cutler, that's a problem. Uh, and the big name was Jermaine Gresham was on that team, the, the tight end. A lot of uh, player, a lot of people thought was going to go to the Dolphins in that 2009 draft. So, I mean, uh, sorry, not 2009, 2010, excuse me. Uh, so, I mean, with um, with this team, it's so hard to tell right now really where this is going to go. It's not looking great. It's one thing to get battered by the Patriots in Foxborough. I mean, the Dolphins have made a habit of it every year since the, the Wildcat game in 2008. That was, the, I think, maybe they're still being punished by the uh, the football gods, the wards, if you will, for uh, just upsetting the apple cart with that game and pretty much dumbing down the NFL for uh, for months on end with that offense. So, I don't know. It, when they get pummeled in, in Foxborough, you expect it. And they haven't been good in Orchard Park for a while either. It's not like they go up to Buffalo and you're just like, oh, yeah, pencil that in as a win. Now that you got Rex up there, now that we talked last week about now that Rex has a defense that he can actually, uh, I wouldn't call it a signature, but has pieces on it that are signature Rex in terms of what he likes to deploy regarding scheme, uh, regarding uh, disguise. A lot of the signature Rex stuff he's able to pull off with that defense, whereas when he was with the Jets, uh, a little bit limited in that regard, which I never complained about because, I mean, I didn't want to see that team with actual pass rushers at their disposal. I thought that'd be incredibly uh, terrifying. So uh, we're just continuing with the show right now. Lewis will join us at some point, maybe a little bit of a slow night. Uh, Again, if you're out there, want to go ahead and call in 347-326-9461. I feel a lot worse about this kind of talking to uh, to the show right now, except that um, there's a couple of channels on Sirius right now where all the shows are just like this. Where yeah, I swear it's just an hour or two hours or even more of guys who just sit there and they uh, continue the conversation. Really, it might be two of them. Or oftentimes you'll just see one guy in the studio doing it himself, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Because I mean, you have to have a wealth of material. You got to be uh, quick on the ball approach if you're going to sit there and you're going to keep the show going by yourself. So I have great respect for anyone who could do that. I don't profess to be anywhere near there, but I don't mind getting on this show and talking uh, to myself for a little while just because it's good to, uh, I guess, get my voice out there and say a few other things. So. Uh, if you're looking ahead, we mentioned the draft earlier, so we can go ahead and we'll touch on that for a second. Uh, if you're looking at what's available next year, because you're so desperately, a lot of people want to put out there that it's going to be a year of the quarterback. I don't get that feeling. I think there are some good quarterbacks you'll see in the 2016 draft. It's not going to look anything like how people projected it in August when they were hoping, you know, you're going to see like Cardell Jones in there and he was going to continue to go bombs away for Ohio State. Uh, you know, you're seeing seeing some guys in there that um, 
something you expected. I know that, I mean, Connor Cook kind of gets thrown all over the place. People are like, you know, is he a, is he a first-rounder? Is he a second-rounder? Uh, is he Kirk Cousins' redo? You know, what are we talking about here? And that's fair. Uh, Hackenberg out of Penn State um, is, is a guy, you know, people uh, run hot and cold on, and that's fine too. So if you're the Dolphins, though, I want to hear from you guys. So if you want to go ahead and give me a call about this, because this is something I would love to discuss. I feel like we're right on the right at the point where it's necessary to go ahead and discuss this. Uh, what are you guys doing if you're drafting next year? If you had that Dolphins pick, are you are you looking? Are you going to continue to try to reinforce the offensive line, which has been a huge problem, obviously? for the Dolphins, uh, regardless of what they've done, really since uh, they brought a lot of focus on the offensive line by drafting Jake Long uh, number one overall seven years ago, uh, it's just been something where people hate the idea of drafting offensive linemen in the first round. I don't get that at all. That seems incredibly, uh, well, no offense, but just dumb. You have to have an offensive line to win. Uh, A a lot of people are talking about the fact that – um, with uh, Tom Brady's line depleted that, well, I mean, they're still winning. Uh, don't, for a second, think that that can't come up and bite them at any moment. So, yeah, they're continuing to. And, yeah, Tom Brady is enough of a, a veteran, uh, legendary quarterback, uh, still one of the best players in the game. If anyone can circumvent a lot of the issues presented by a depleted offensive line, such as uh, New England, it's Tom Brady. So don't... Can, don't uh, you know, trick yourself into thinking that because because the, the Patriots can win with a depleted offensive line, it's not necessary to do so. Uh, I see a lot of examples people bring up when they talk about bad offensive lines and people can still win. And this always boggles my mind, especially lately, because I've always thought that this was a, a really talented unit, and now they're playing like it. But people always bring up the example of Green Bay. And I don't get that, because in my opinion, Green Bay is one of the best offensive lines in in the league. Now, the last two weeks, they have, they've had problems. But, I mean, if you're going to have problems against Denver, I don't think anyone's going to hold that against you. That front seven is just absolute beast any way you look at it, regardless of the personnel they're throwing out at you. Uh, and then, you know, they had a lot of issues against uh, Carolina last week. You know, Carolina, a uh, very, very talented front seven. A lot of guys on the defensive line, they can still get after the quarterback. And, you know, maybe the best middle linebacker in the game in Luke Keekley. So, I mean, if you're going to struggle there, fine. The Green Bay's offensive line is still outstanding. Uh, you know, a lot of people gave him crap for, you know, drafting uh, Bakhtiari uh, and then immediately flipping him over to left tackle just due to the injuries they had over there. And it worked out perfectly. And I'm always amused by Green Bay's ability to, I make jokes about this all the time, uh, but I'm, I'm serious when I say it, that the Packers could draft a lineman from anywhere in the country. Could be a California kid. Uh, could be a you know a kid from you know whatever Miami for all for all I know. Uh, they can make that guy look like he's from Wisconsin. I don't know how that's possible because like Bakhtiari, I think is from California if I'm not mistaken. So, but, I mean he's in there. I think he played at Colorado. Uh, so he's in there, and, I mean, he looks just like all of the classic 
Packers uh, linemen who have played that for that team over the past, you know, 15, 20 years, all of these guys who are just look like, you know, just uh, corn-fed Midwestern kids. It's amazing how that team can just just make every lineman on the team look like they're a local guy, you know, and they were, you know, they found this kid playing in North Dakota or something, and he went to, and he played uh, in college at uh, University of Wisconsin or something. So, I mean, they've got a good offensive line, though. I like the personnel for the most part. I love their guards on that team with Sitton and Lang. Those guys are good guards. And, I mean, that's something where when you talk about the guard carousel that the Dolphins have had as of late, um, well, as of late, as of the past, oh, I don't know, six years or so, <clears throat> uh, you be, you become easily envious of teams that have strong personnel at the guard, at the guard position, and they do. And those guys are Pro Bowl-worthy, Pro Bowl-caliber guys that they have uh, along the interior, and it works out. Uh, I had one friend last week say that uh, he didn't want Brian Bulaga anymore. I thought it was kind of weird because, I mean, for a long time there, Bulaga was easily their best offensive line than I thought. I thought, I mean, and he played at Iowa. He's actually from uh, a suburb of Chicago pretty close to where I'm from, uh, probably about a half-hour drive. He's, I think he's from Crystal Lake. I'm from St. Charles. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's weird that, you know, they have a couple of bad games against really good defenses and all of a sudden people want to get out there and say that all of a sudden now it's bad again. It's not bad. Well, I mean, bad would be looking at the uh, the play of the uh, the Dolphins offensive line over the past, you know, well, let's just say this season. Let's go ahead and keep it to a minimal example. Uh, for the most part, it just hasn't been good. And a big problem for that is all these kids that they have, they just move them all over the place. And we've talked about this in um, – in previous shows, uh, multiple shows this season, that it is awfully hard to find offensive linemen who can do that sort of, you know, that Swiss Army knife thing and just play anywhere on the offensive line. That's awfully hard to do because, I mean, every spot is different. You're expected to have a little bit of a different skill set. It's a little bit easier in the zone blocking scheme, but not really because you still got to be incredibly athletic and you have to be even more alert of what's going on. So it kind of balances itself out. It's still incredibly difficult. You had this coaching staff in there, and they get guys like Billy Turner, Dallas Thomas, uh, Jamil Douglas, and they would move them around. I want to use, you know, I'm going to use the left tackle today. How about left guard, right guard? What do you think? You want to try center? That doesn't work. Not for when you're bringing these kids in and they're just, you know, uh, you have Jamil Douglas, who was making the transition over and was expected to be a guard at the NFL level. Billy Turner, same thing. He was a left tackle at North Dakota State. Comes in, is you know, is expected to be a hyper athletic guard in his own blocking scheme. So you look at these players that come in, and they're moving them all over the place. And I mean, Dallas Thomas is a shining example. They've had that guy everywhere. It's, um, it's amazing. If that guy's confidence isn't completely destroyed, I don't know how that's possible. You just look at it, and they're just unable to find roles for these guys. So, I mean, that's a problem. That's an incredible problem. And, I mean, that's a big reason why you're you're missing that consistency and that that 
together mentality you see with a lot of offensive lines. Sure, I mean, you need depth, uh, especially if you're New England. I mean, if you're missing guys like Nate Solder and you want to get guys in there like that, uh, I mean, you're going to be hurting. I mean, if you're missing your premier guys on the offensive line, they still have Sebastian Vollmer, I believe, unless he got hurt too, which I don't think he did. Uh, you know, so it's not like they're they're without any sort of star player that they've had on the offensive line. But when you, you lose your big guys, especially when you're losing your left tackle, I mean, I don't have to tell the Dolphins fans that just because, I mean, you look at what happened last year, last November, when Brandon Albert went down and the offensive line just absolutely collapsed. You know, losing that anchor over on the left side really hurt them. And it's hurt them this year because, I mean, Albert still really hasn't been healthy. Uh, time and time again, you seem like he has to be helped off the field, especially early in the season. There were a lot of issues with that. So, just problems to be had. So, all of that is to say, I mean, that was a really, really long deviation from what we were talking about. But do you look at the offensive line in this draft? Do you think, I mean, now with the way these guys are playing, who knows where they're going to be uh, making their selection? Uh, I mean, they could be, I mean, you hate to say like in the, the 8 to 12 range because I feel like the Dolphins are always in the 8 to 12 range. But, you know, lo and behold, here we are. They're not playing well. So uh, I don't think they'd, even at, at that range, even with how terrible they've been, I still don't think they have a shot at a guy like Ronnie Stanley who is, if I mean, if there's anyone I could get uh, in Miami as an offensive lineman rookie, It'd be him. He plays at Notre Dame. Uh, had he come out last year, he would have been, in my opinion, the uh, the top offensive lineman selected. So that says a lot, uh, especially because he was able to go to school and uh, thus far has really held up his reputation as a premier left tackle. And he could play right tackle, too. He's not limited in that regard. Uh, there are some other players in there that, I mean, you wonder just because um, if they're uh, a bigger player, you know, maybe they don't fit as well in the um, in the zone blocking scheme. Although you wonder if they if they completely change this regime, I mean, do they do they stick with the the ZBS anyway, or do they get back to more of a, a man scheme? I don't know. Uh, but then you look guys like uh, Taylor Decker, is someone out of Ohio State who's will garner a lot of interest. Uh, he's a big dude. I think he's like six eight. He probably runs like three fifteen. Three fifteen uh, as a weight is pretty good for the zone blocking scheme. That's not a deal breaker. If you're, in my opinion, if you're under 320, uh, you're game. It's when you start getting these lumbering guys who roll in 325, 330, even 335. Uh, you think guys like Phil Lodeholt, um, who plays with, uh, I mean, he's hurt right now, but he plays with Minnesota, play college ball at uh, Oklahoma, just an absolute mammoth human being. Uh, so Flozell Adams was um, an absolute enormous uh, tackle. He used to play for uh, Dallas. Flozell the Hotel is what they used to call that guy because he was enormous. But, I mean, if you're looking, like, Taylor Decker isn't, in my opinion, a deal breaker in the zone blocking scheme because I like his athleticism. I think that he could make it work uh, provided that's where the Dolphins stay. Or you could look at, uh, like, Conklin, Jack Conklin out of Michigan State. He's a guy that Duke and I have talked about um, on several uh, occasions. We both really like him. He's uh, enormous, too. He's a big boy. I think he's 6'6". Six, six, um, <clears throat> I know he's under 320. I think he's like 317. So, I mean, getting there in terms of weight, but 
still not awful. So, or, or I shouldn't say awful. I should say too much. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a, my allergies are been awful the past couple of days and have left me with uh, pretty much a scratchy throat. So, I'm mean, just looking at it, looking at what these guys could do. I think a guy you're going to see a ton of attention go toward uh, as this, this draft goes on, provided he declares as Jared Goff, who's uh, the quarterback for Cal. Uh, definitely a big name. And, I mean, he's an underclassman, so nobody knows if uh, he's going to uh, if he's gonna be, uh, if he's gonna be there, if he's gonna go back to school, I mean that's uh, always a wild card. So you never know. But if, if he gets involved, then I mean, who knows? Who knows what could happen? I mean, he gets he gets in there, then you see. I we always talk about that that theory where you always want quarterbacks. If you have a guy you think is a franchise quarterback, and I would like to think that uh, the way he's paid, that um, Ryan Tannehill is a franchise quarterback. Uh, if he's in there, at Goff, that is, if Goff's in that draft and you start to see uh, some other of the uh, other quarterbacks get in there, then maybe that pushes some players toward what Dolphins are selecting. Um, <clears throat> big guy... Uh, the big buzz right now, people are talking about Jalen Smith, who's the, uh, the linebacker at Notre Dame. Uh, he would be a huge, huge get uh, in the Dolphins system, especially when you think about the fact that the, uh, the linebacker situation has just plagued them forever. And they've got some, some good pieces in there, but you want that franchise guy that uh, you can really build your second level of defense around. Uh, Actually, now that I think about it, I think Lewis has finally joined us. <clears throat> What's going on? Not much, guys. Had some stuff to take care of, but I'm here now, and I'm ready to talk some non-quarterback topics. You don't? You're turning off quarterback talk for the next half hour? At least. What have you? Uh, have you disagreed with a lot of? Uh, but what has you feeling that way? I'm curious to hear it. Uh, I've just had enough of the continuous, never-ending, going around in circles arguments. That's all. I'm just, I'm, I'm done. People are gonna think what they think, and I'm done trying to convince them otherwise. All I can do is continue to do what I do, keep writing, keep doing my stuff, and I'm gonna move on from there. I'll let my work speak for itself. I'm not, I'm done trying to convince people otherwise. Lewis taking the high road. Lewis taking the easy road. I'm tired. Oh, there's that too. It is the high road, though. It's one of the few times that the high road's the easier one. You guys want to go ahead and give us a call three four seven three two six nine four six one. Not a lot of bites on that tonight. I've had a couple of people call in, but uh, I can't get in there and screen people while I'm hosting the show, which has always been the double-edged sword here. One thing I do want to point out, though, <clears throat> as it is Veterans Day, uh, and we have a veteran, it's Kevin. I'm kind of, I'm disappointed. I was hoping Kevin was somehow going to call in. Because, I mean, Kevin is a, a longtime member of the, the military. He's currently stationed. I believe he's uh, still stationed in uh, Texas. Or he actually just um, works on a base. I'm not sure. But that's what he does. A lot of people, I get questions on Twitter sometimes. People are like, what does Kevin do? And I'm always, like, <clears throat> kind of tempted to just make up a bunch of stuff about him. 
But what he does is he works on an Air Force base, and he is a veteran. So hopefully he can call in and we can talk to him for a little bit. I think I just earned it by talking to myself for the last half hour. I may not have any voice for the rest of the week as a result. So what do you think of the Buffalo? You didn't have anybody here? I thought Duke was going to join you. Oh, man. All right. Well, right. so, oh, I'm yeah, I'm here fun. now. Don't worry, don't worry, Keith. You're no longer a one is no longer the loneliest number. Oh, I, I see what you did there. Uh, so, what were your thoughts uh, last Sunday's game in Buffalo in Orchard Park? Uh, my thoughts were, oh, it's gonna be ugly, isn't it? And guess what? It was. Uh, well, I'm speaking both in the in terms of the game and the the post game because that's kind of the reason why I'm kind of done with quarterback talk. The post game was, I, actually, I think the post game was worse than the actual game itself. I will give Dan Campbell credit for at least one thing. It doesn't. It, the team itself looked a lot better than they did at the home opener because it was a never. It was never any moment in time where it looks like they had just given up. Because at the home opener, it looked like they didn't even want to be there. They looked like they were dead. They kind of they were like, "Can I be anywhere but here? I'd rather be home uh, eating chips on the couch or something like that." But this time, they actually went out and played. So I'll give them credit for that much. But now this actually creates a bigger problem in the sense that okay, so they're actually trying now. That means that uh, we just don't have the talent to overcome their talent, and that mm-hmm. bothers me. It just tells me that. Now, really, what we're doing here is since we're getting the best of what they have, it means that it truly exposes exactly what it is that we're missing, what needs to be done. And if nothing else, it allows us to make evaluations for 2016, but I'm my hopes are not high for the still statistically alive 2015 Dolphins. No, it's hard to have any real optimism or sense of faith going forward right now, especially because, I mean, after that little that little blip where they were showing real life, blowing out teams that were just very bad. I mean, let's face it, Tennessee, even though Tennessee beat New Orleans, and New Orleans was bad too. I mean, um, and then, you know, getting the buzz, you know, really taking it to Houston. I mean, that game wasn't even nearly as close as the, the final score indicated. Um, I have a couple of questions for you, though. Let's go ahead and use this as an opportunity to let's, – let's say that you are the general manager, Lewis. You are the general manager of the Miami Dolphins, and the 2015 season has concluded. Thank God, it's done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what would like? Let's go step by step here. I'm gonna just take it through the off season. But you are the GM. We'll say you're Mike Tannenbaum. You can be Hickabom if you want. What mm-hmm. is? What are some of the the moves you do Im- immediately? What are What are some of the decisions you're gonna make? Olivier Vernon needs to get out. Okay. That's, that's step one. Greg Jennings needs to go bye-bye. I see if I can't restructure Cameron Wake a little bit, or if not, then at this point, I, I look at the situation. I say, I, I try and see what his injury is like. There was reports from Barry Jackson that Wake is already ahead of schedule, which is good news. I mean, Jason Taylor said it um, during the ping-pong tournament that I was at. He's not really worried about Cameron Wake coming back because that man is a freak of nature and he'll be able to play no matter what the situation. And it's starting to look like that'll be the case. I think Cam has earned the right to be able to finish out his contract. He was he seven sacks in three weeks with Indomitian Sue there is a ridiculous amount. Could you imagine if he had managed to stay healthy the whole season? I I don't know if there would be anything to stop him. He he might even break NFL records at that kind of pace. 
with that said, we'll have to keep a very close eye on that injury. So I would I would have pretty much a 24-hour watch on Cameron Wake and how he's doing and his workout schedule and all that stuff because he's going to have a long way before he can uh, get back to being Cameron Wake. He'd have to get back to working out. He'd have to get back in the gym, kind of do like the Brandon Albert route and make sure he's in shape before the season is before the season is ready to go because Albert wasn't. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I see. So, real quick, uh, just okay. because you said something that I thought was interesting, uh, allow me to play devil devil's advocate here for a second. Why Olivier Vernon? Because Olivier Vernon has not proven that he's worth anything special. He had the one really good season, and after that, it's been like it. It, it looks like that that season was something of an anomaly. And that mm-hmm. an anomaly is not a good enough reason to pay this man uh, however many dollars he's going to be looking for. If anything, if anything, I would be willing to p- bring him back on a Coamisi-esque deal, something along the lines of $16 million for four years or something like that. So that way he just happens to be there. But I have the feeling that he and his agent are going to be wanting more money, say, uh, citing production that one really good year he had, and he'll say something along the lines of, well, I was all by myself, I didn't have help. Mind you, ignoring the fact that Ndama Kingsu is there, but never. But regardless, mm-hmm. Vernon has not shown that he can be a reliable defense end. He's not all that effective against the run. We've seen his pass rushing skills are average most of the time, and very rarely will he ever make something good. His boneheaded mistakes are really lowering his value in my eyes, and I'm really not willing to pay for somebody who's going to lose his temper on the field and do stupid things. We're worrying about Ndamukong Sue being the dirtiest player. So far, our dirtiest player is Olivier Vernon, and I don't. I know who. I know he's not really. <laughs> That's that, true. He's not disagree. that way off the field. He's not that way yeah. off the field. He's a really nice guy, but apparently he just loses it when things start going wrong on the field, and that's a problem. I think he's going to end up in the NFC next year. I if uh, I think that some team will give him a ton of money because, uh, I mean, he'll try to cash in. And I think one team that will try to get his services because they're currently trying to rebuild their three four, or rebuild their new 3-4 scheme is Chicago. I, I could see him ending, ending up with a team like the Bears. Or, you know, maybe Jerry Jones decides that he just he can't have a leader like Greg Hardy around. So he'll, he'll make a similar play for um, Olivier Vernon. Or maybe Vernon ends up in Arizona. I don't know. But I agree that at this point, it's just not worth the money or the perspective money that people have um, speculated regarding what he'll get. So, okay. If he's willing well, to well, come back well, cheap, I'll bring him back. But I'm not giving him a big paycheck. I think he'll cash in. Uh, let's, you know, you mentioned the personnel, though, on the field. What about off the field, though? Who's like, I mean, because are you keeping Dan Campbell or are you making a change at head coach? And if so, who are you bringing in? <laughs> Here's the thing. Dan Campbell, the situation with Campbell is a lot tougher because it's obvious that the players connect to him. They've played harder than I've seen them play in years. And while that's fine, you do still need to have some semblance of strategy. Bill Lazor does not have it. Bill Lazor his whole offense is predicated on the shotgun, and I am so sick to death of seeing Tannehill in the shotgun formation, especially on the one-yard line, that I am about ready to pull my hair out. When, you have a, when you're on the one-yard line, I don't care 
who you are or what team you have. When they're when the Patriots are on the one yard line, you know what they're going to do, and you know it's pretty much going to work. Like you might as well just not even line up at all because they're just going to get to walk in there anyway. A QB sneak, it's done. Touchdown. Moving on. I don't see why the Dolphins don't try to do more stuff like that, especially with people like when you had somebody like Billy Turner in there, when you had somebody like uh, Mike Pouncey back there. And I, I can't believe it, but my original prediction for Dallas Thomas is actually coming like three weeks after I gave up on him. He's actually starting to improve. You have Brandon Albert who's still getting into even better shape. The only weak point really at this point is Jason Fox. It's a big weak point, and Dallas Thomas is not great, but he's doing a lot better. You should at least try to ram it down their throats. I don't understand why they still don't do that. It means it tells me that Dan Campbell is not willing to get in Bill Lazor's way, which you could you could uh, interpret as a good thing, since supposedly Joe Philbin was always in Lazor's way. But now it looks like that Campbell is not in Lazor's way enough because they're throwing they're tossing aside. Uh, common sense to try and get cute. I mean, the Jarvis Landry throw to Ryan Tannehill was fun to watch because, like, hey, he used to be a wide receiver. <laughs> but don't ever do that again because you're going to get our quarterback clobbered because they're going to see it coming next time. So I do, I, I'm getting tired of Blazers' little cute trick plays because they're not going to work long term. Just get behind your center. Get in. Get don't stay out of the shotgun for gosh sakes. And ram it down there. You have a well. You had a Jonas Gray who was supposed to be a power runner. Lamar Miller can run the ball with power if you just let him try, and if you pretty much tell him, Lamar, run forward. Then you get. Then you see what Jay Ajayi was able to do in his limited runs, and I'm like, okay, hello. I didn't see that coming. Let's you. Let's give you the ball some more. Running the football is how the offense functions, and if they don't do it, then the Dolphins don't go anywhere. It really is that simple. So, uh, if the, is if that a Campbell, no on Campbell? Then are you are you firing Campbell and his staff? I I'd like to see if Campbell is willing to stay on as a different kind of coach. The, I don't know. Maybe he'll take his tight end coach again spot again because he loves the team or whatever. But here's make, if, make if, a difficult decision. If, you keep him or you, you let him go. It depends on who's available. Well, it what, really does. Go ahead and say hypothetically. I mean, within reason. Say, like, Sean Payton okay. is probably going to be out there. Okay, if Sean Payton is out there, then I'm keeping Campbell because I don't want to give Sean Payton full power. He ran he, – his, his ability with the Saints pretty much was predicated on Drew Brees making miracles every game. He, the personnel on the Saints, especially these past couple of years, have not been impressive, and it's because he's the one calling the shots. And he, well, I don't know if he's calling the shots now, but I do know for a fact that he wants that power, similar to Jim Harbaugh. And I don't, Sean Payton is not a Jim Harbaugh coach. He's not the kind of guy who can pick the groceries as well as use them. And right, Hugh Jackson. If, if Hugh Jackson comes in and he's willing to play along, play nice with the GM and stuff, and they get this, if they get on on par with each other and have this. Uh, combined vision they have, then sure, Hugh Jackson, that's great. Everybody seems to want Hugh Jackson. Supposedly Hugh Jackson would really fit with Ryan Tannehill, which is great. But even if we get Hugh, I still want Campbell around somewhere because you see what these players, you see how attached these players are to Campbell, and 
it would be a major, major blow to their morale, I think, if Jackson comes in at the expense of completely losing Campbell to some other team. What about, I'm going to say the name I've heard the most, Eric Mangini. Mangini is there because of connections to Tanbaum. So yeah. If, yeah. It's, if it's Mangini, then you better believe I'm picking Dan Campbell. Give me a break. <laughs> okay. So all right, let's just say that um, all right, you fired Dan Campbell. You just fired Dan Campbell. And just pick a guy, Jim Schwartz. Just, I mean, go ahead and even if it's not Hugh Jackson. Just, okay, so all right, so I always want to call him Hugh Jackman. So Hugh Jackson's in there. All right, so now you've got your your, your head coach of the future. Hopefully, a guy who can work with, uh, who will work well with Ryan Tannehill. And you brought up a point that I really agree with is that Ryan Tannehill belongs under center because Ryan Tannehill is good enough to play directly under center, which sounds like a little bit of a condescending thing when you consider how much the NFL operates out of the shotgun. But Ryan Tannehill is good enough to be a pro-style quarterback. And that's something that – that was a criticism uh, leveled at him uh, time and time again when he first came in the league. Well, he's not going to be good enough to play under center all the time. Just because he's not – you know, he might be a pro – he might have been in a pro-style uh, at uh, Texas A&M, but it's just never going to work out because he just doesn't have the experience. He doesn't have the brain. Well, he's got the brain. And now he's got the experience, and I think he's good enough to play in there. So – all right, so Hugh Jackson's in there. Uh, I won't bother with the coordinators because that's a little bit of a semantics-type argument. But So what are you focusing on in the draft? What do you think is this team's biggest need? And it looks like it's going to be drafting fairly high. What is the one position you're targeting and you're thinking, we're going to turn this team around uh, post-haste. This is what we need. Middle linebacker. Okay. I'm actually that working on it. That's, that's I wish Duke was here right now because that's uh, Duke's uh, biggest area of expertise right now. That he's he's been he all about be all the line, the middle linebackers, and rightfully so. You know, we you need that that commanding presence in the middle of the defense. I mean, you've got I'm gonna all give of you the a little money and size invested in the interior defensive line, but really, I mean, you don't have a franchise guy. Uh, at the second level to clean it up. So the I'm going to give a little sneak peek into my. I'm going to give a little sneak peek into my next uh, piece that I'm actually working on right now. It's very simple. You get a middle linebacker, a top tier, first round draft pick kind of middle linebacker, and suddenly Rashad Jones is better. Suddenly the secondary is better. Suddenly Indomitian Sue starts looking like he's making the money that we paid him because. It's, it, nobody is there right now cleaning up the mess that Ndamukong Sue is making. He eats the double team, he, he, gets, he opens up lanes, and Calvin Shepard just doesn't have it. Rashad Jones is currently our best linebacker, and he's, he's, his, his position is strong safety. That is a huge indictment on exactly what kind of talent we have on the linebacker core. We need somebody in there. And I don't care if it's Jalen Smith. I don't care if it's Miles Jack. But get somebody in there. First-round draft pick, top-tier middle linebacker. Defense, next question. What about Scooby Wright? That's, that, I think he's still Duke's favorite. He's up there for me, too, because I think he's, he fits in better as an inside guy, whereas I think, like, Jalen Smith. Uh, I, I, Jalen Smith could probably play either, especially in our scheme, but I think that it would almost be a waste to not have that guy playing the weak side in a 4-3 just because of how talented he is. I, I, 
to say though, I'm a fan of Scooby. Like me some I need some Scooby in my Miami Dolphins life, so I don't know. Well, I I I leave I usually leave the drafts like the draft specifics to guys like you and Duke and uh, Ian Wharton. So I don't know anything about Scooby Ride. I'd have to do some research on him first and ask around. But all I know is is that everybody's looking at Jalen Smith as the top rated outside, inside, whatever linebacker available. And a lot of the people that I know are really high on Miles Jack, even though he's recovering from the torn meniscus. The whole reason he dropped out of the um, he dropped out of school or whatever is so he could rehab that meniscus and get ready for the NFL draft. And supposedly he'll be ready for the combine and whatever. So um, as long as the Dolphins don't go off their rocker or whatever and pick something like a running back in the first round, then, well, never mind. Let me not jinx it because it's the Dolphins. Middle linebacker is my top priority. I don't care about the corners. You can get that later. I don't care about the offensive line yet right now. You can get that a little bit later. Make sure you fix the defense. Getting in Dominic Sue was not enough because in doing so, you have rigged it that the rest of the core is actually worse than what it was last year, which sounds impossible to imagine. It's worse than when Philip Wheeler and Donnell Ellerby and those guys were in there. That's pretty hard to do. So mm-hmm. we've pulled off the impossible by making it that Kelvin Shepard is the middle linebacker. Get Shepard out of there, get a top-tier guy in there, and suddenly I am convinced this this defense will look much, much better than what it does right now. Like, if you want to keep Brent Grimes in the, as the number one corner, fine, whatever. You want to keep Jim Taylor as the number two corner, fine. Bring back Lewis Delmas on a minimum deal, fine. There you go. You got your You got your free safety ready to go just in case. You got Rashad Jones still there, and you can. And if you bring in a middle linebacker who is worthy of being called a middle linebacker, Kelvin Shepard is not worthy of being a starter. He would not start for anybody in this league, except for us, because that's all we got. See your middle linebacker in there. Rashad Jones can play safety like he's supposed to. You can have guys rush the passer like they're supposed to. You you you've essentially made sure that you don't have people trying to compensate for somebody's incredibly poor play. Can't disagree with any of that. So, yeah, I think that it's got to be a it's got to be a franchise linebacker for these guys. I love Jalen Smith. I obviously, am, I mean, he plays close to here. So, I mean, and on Chicago Sports Radio, when they're talking about Notre Dame, I mean, they just can't talk about that guy enough. It, I mean, it's so over the top, but he's that good. I mean, he's outstanding. I like Scooby Wright. Scooby Wright plays at Arizona, by the way. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, and then Miles Jack. Is, so, I mean, the the point is, is I mean, you've got some big names at linebacker. It's not like where we've gone into years where, oh, we need this or this, but there's just not any, like, front-line talent available. There's not anything top-shelf that we can really get excited about and say, like, add that piece and Yeah, we just did a complete service to Endomic and Sue and company, knowing that that guy is going to be there to clean up the mess uh, or clean up whenever they uh, are up front. Uh, you know, doing all the dirty work or whatever cliche you want to use. So um, that's the exciting thing. I'm, I'm Right now, I, I'd say I like Wright, but Jalen Smith is probably going to be the first guy to go. And, you know, hey, we're probably going to be in a position where, you know, maybe we can get him. In a perfect world, it would have been great to get Tannehill and Luke Keekley in that draft because I love both those guys so much. Uh, it would have been incredible to because I mean Luke Keekley is the you know the the total package at middle linebacker, 
uh, even though people claim that he was too undersized to play inside when he was coming out of Boston College. Uh, Everybody keeps almost, saying that about almost, a lot of people, and they keep coming to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. We got uh, we got just under four minutes. So, this show, actually, I I don't want to say it went by fast because uh, having to do the whole solo routine was brutal. But at the same time, uh, I feel like we got a lot of good information out there this week. Hopefully, people, yeah, if you can go check out some of these linebackers, because I think that's going to be a big area of interest for the Dolphins. They have to. I mean, like, I, I'm i one of the few people who doesn't have a problem with drafting running backs in the first round if he's that good. I would have taken Todd Gurley gladly. I said that as much, and I got a lot of crap for it uh, last spring. But if it – I mean, I wanted a receiver, but if it came that he was the he was there at 14, I wouldn't have said, said no to him because I thought he was special. Uh, I don't know who's going to be but he is back in – back in this draft, maybe like Derrick Henry or someone, and that guy's enormous. But taking a, a running back in the top 10 is a awfully dicey proposition at this point, and I just I can't sign off on that. Not unless the guy is just absolutely like special material. And I would agree with that. Um, we have how much time left, Keith? Uh, we got about uh, just under three minutes. Okay, let me ask you real quick. If you had to pick five players that you would absolutely must build around, not necessarily players you would keep, but players that you would build around, who would they be moving forward in 2016? Well, obviously Tannehill. Uh, Jarvis Landry is the guy you build around. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, outside of the obvious, the fact that, I mean, and Dawkins is going to be here for a while, I think Rashad Jones is the guy you build around. And, I mean, because, I mean, the other corners, I mean, you don't know yet where, what you're going to get with Jamar Taylor. I mean, the jury's still out. Um, I mean, well, it's Ryan pretty close to being – there's pretty close to being a verdict there. Sure. I mean, and actually, uh, and the indictment there is, it was really easy for me to figure out guys on the offensive side of the ball, not so much on defense, which, I mean, suggests that, I mean, you want to get some guys in, you need some cornerstones. So, I mean, that's a great question And that, yeah, of course you're going to bring in a linebacker. Now you do want that commanding presence. So you – I guess the only the, – the last discussion that he had is somewhere along the lines of do you want to keep some – do you want, like, the fifth person to be somebody like Jelani Jenkins on defense or do you want to make sure you re-sign Lamar Miller and build around him instead? It's kind of a tricky – it's trying to, kind of a tricky concept. Yeah. Um... I'm. I love Lamar Miller. I I would love to see him back. Uh, but I'm gonna go with Jelani Jenkins only because, uh, I mean, we there's something somewhat comparable eventually in a Jaya. I think. I'm not saying he'll ever be as good as Lamar Miller, but I think you can get a comparable production out of him. I think he'll be a good not, back. Whereas I well, think if you can I'm, get, I'm really not ready. I'm not ready but, to make Ajayi the feature back. Not, not even close, no, not yet. Not I, need to see I, mean, a, I need to see a lot more. In the future, though, if I if uh, that decision is up to me, I'm taking the the guy who's a, who really floats the ball well as an outside linebacker because I think that's Jenkins' biggest strength. I think he pursues really well. So. I can see that. Yeah. So thanks for joining me tonight. Um, thanks Sorry, for, I couldn't uh, jump in uh, earlier, Keith. Oh, that's not a problem. Uh, thanks to everyone who gave us a listen. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday, uh, hopefully. 
Uh, so until then, uh, he's Lewis, I'm Keith, and uh, have a great week. And uh, hopefully uh, uh, Philadelphia doesn't beat the team's brains in on Sunday. Just kidding. Go oh, home. Lord. Good night. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.